This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Eddie DeBartolo, and you're listening to The Eye Test for Two with Clark Judge and Ira Kaufman. Welcome to the second of our I Test for Two Super Bowl podcast this week. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Myra Kaufman. And of course, we're Hall of Fame voters who are awaiting the results of our Hall of Fame votes. They'll be announced this Saturday, though, Ari, you can expect it to break before then, right? Uh, I can't believe it's been uh, two weeks today that they've kept this under wraps. I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't either. Anyway, Saturday's when it will be announced. We're also joined, as usual, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. And full disclosure, that that opening song was our way of saying, yeah, there's another team besides the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl, because for the last week and a half, we've been playing <laughs> Bucks fight songs. So, yeah, there is another team. Um, as I said, we're joined by Ian, but we've got another in this week's Super Bowl guest and as a special guest. That's Joe Banner, who's the former president of the Philadelphia Eagles and CEO of the Cleveland Browns. Now, Joe was in Philadelphia when the Eagles hired Andy Reid, and he was there when Andy took them to five conference championship games in eight years and one Super Bowl. So, uh, Joe, first of all, um, it's great to have you with us. And, and second, um, it's been too long, but, but second, I, I, I want to ask you about Andy because he is one of the two coaches in this game. And I go back to 1999 when you were in Philadelphia. And, and I kind of recall at that time, Ray Rhodes had left. So you're looking for a head coach that you owned a Jeff Lurie. And I think Tom Modrak, who was then the football operations director, were mulling uh, head coaching choices. And to the best of my knowledge and recollection, I think it came down to Andy and um, Jim Hazlitt Though, I, 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 again, I'll let you fill this in. I, I, I thought there might have been a run at home just to see if he was interested. But anyway, it came down to Andy and Jim Hazlitt. And you, tro- you chose Andy. And I remember being out in San Francisco. I was covering the 49ers. And they had just finished uh, beating the Packers in the playoffs. And I went, uh, Andy Reid, let's see, who, who is he? Uh, he was the quarterback's coach for the, the Packers. And I know he's the assistant head coach, but he wasn't the name you associate with the Packers. It was Mike Holmgren. You know, it was... Mike Holmgren. So I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And, and he hadn't been a head coach before. And when you made him a head coach, he was the second youngest one out there next to uh, John Gruden, who was 35, then in Oakland, now with Las Vegas, but his first stints with the Raiders. And Andy was 40 at the time. So what convinced you and the Eagles to take a flyer on a guy who was inexperienced as a head coach and, and, and hadn't actually coached before as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, it was... Um... Remember, we were new to the league, so we weren't kind of limited and governed by all the conventional wisdom that had driven the thinking for so many years. Mm-hmm. So we actually tried to add a little science to our intuition and did a study of all the head coaches that had been to at least two Super Bowls and defining them as kind of true success uh, leaders. Uh, and to our surprise, we found nothing about football that was in common. They passed, they ran, they were aggressive, they were passive, you know, whatever it was, they came from a defensive bracket, offensive age. We couldn't find anything. 
But we almost stumbled into the fact that when it came to the description of who they were as people, there were tremendous similarities about leadership, about attention to detail, about ability to evaluate coaches and manage people. So we came up, there was literally a list of eight items that we felt all of these coaches we researched. So it's all the way from Bill Walsh to Holmgren to Belichick to Parcells, all those kind of people. Um, and then drove who we were interviewing by what we decided we were looking for, which was these eight criteria. None of them had anything to do with football. So we were not afraid of somebody that hadn't been a coordinator. Now, we were very focused on leadership, so they were going to have to prove to us they hadn't been a coordinator, but they could be a great leader. So we produced kind of a different list of names we were interviewing. There were eight teams at the time hiring a head coach. Green Bay, by the way, was one of them and didn't right. interview Andy. Um, and when we met him, it was like either – our research was really misguided or we just stumbled on the next great coach because it just lined up exactly uh, the same as all these coach did when it came to the character, the personality, what, what made them tick. Um, so that's what we did. I mean, we got in Philadelphia, we were accused of hiring him just because he hadn't been a quarter. So that meant he'd be cheaper and we were trying to save money. <laughs> so, um, so we were very glad when fairly quickly working with him, we felt really sure we made the right decision. And then by the second year, he had started to want it. Everybody else realized we made the right decision too. Joe, of those eight criteria, was there one that was a defining one with him? One where he either jumped off the page or he went, he separated himself from the pack here. Well, I, I, yes. And, you know, it's a story I, I've told the, it wasn't just the big book that he had which is now pretty common when he walked into the interview. Andy literally had graded in the entire country, including college and the pros, the top 10 coaches in his, his, his opinion at every single position. And it was so detailed and so well thought out and researched. And remember, one of our criteria was hiring great coaches and managing them effectively. And it was just so much better and right than anything we could have even imagined seeing. So when we got to that portion of the interview and he, he was clearly a leader. He just walks in the door and he has a presence and people in Green Bay, even though he hadn't been in court, are described as a leader. So I think what really immediately caught our attention, just really differentiated him from anybody else we had talked to uh, was the, the attention he paid years and his stories about how he'd met some of these people at clinics, at senior bowls, at combines. It was just this whole mishmash of ways he'd met people. And he'd been accumulating this data for years and years. Nobody knew it but him and his agent. And I just can't even tell you how impressive it was. Not just the list, but listening to him talk about why people made it to the list, why so-and-so was rated ahead of so-and-so. It was, it was just, it was really brilliant, to be honest. Joe, I've got a question for you that's going to take center stage uh, shortly after the Super Bowl. Joe, a lot of speculation uh, about the salary cap for the 2021 season. Some people think it's going to go down significantly. Uh, I'm not sure you believe that. Um, what do you foresee in those terms for the 32 teams going forward, Joe? Yeah, so assuming there's no further discussions between the league and the union, because the agreement right now is to basically put the whole shortfall in one year. If they had some discussions and spread it out, then forget what I'm about to say. I do think the cap is going to go down, but not as much as some are saying. They get that 175 floor. We're at 198 now. I mean, I'm guessing we're more in the 180s. I just think there was some, you know, they preserved all of the key TV revenues and those kinds of things. There were some greater local revenues than zero. So I think 175 was the worst case scenario. And there were some reasons that we could see publicly that weren't worst case scenarios. So 
it will be a challenge for some teams, but I think we'll be in the 185-ish range, but that's just a guess. Is that enough of a drop, Joe, to cause uh, severe uh, issues with, with several teams in terms of keeping veterans? Well, you're going to see a few guys cut more than we've seen in the past, but for the most part, I don't think it's going to really cause a massive disruption. I mean, it may be a tougher time to be a free agent than some other years. Remember, again, if we're back to normal for the next season, there's going to be a very significant jump in the cap next year. So the idea of borrowing from the future is something I always tried to avoid when I was making decisions. Some teams do it, some teams don't. But the idea of borrowing from the future may make more sense than ever. So you can effectively kind of create almost a flat cap by borrowing some money from the future. That will change, as I say, if they change how they're allocating the losses from this year. It will change if it turns out we don't have full fan attendance at games next September. But if we're kind of past all that and things will be relatively normal next year, I don't think the drop will be as much as people are thinking. And the teams that have problems, you can look at the roster and figure out relatively easily how they can solve the problem. We're with Joe Banner on the eye test for two. And Joe, I was not an economics major in college. I was a history major. So I'm going back to history again. Joe, I mean, this is a very... <laughs> back to Andy Reid. <laughs> so um, how long before you knew you'd made the right choice? You know, it was pretty quick. And I'll tell you why. Um, most people in life, even very confident people, at least have a little belief that there's a risk that they won't succeed to the extent they think they will. And you can see in their actions, whether it's what they do or how they set up things to kind of defer blame, uh, that's pretty common, even very, very successful people. It was obvious immediately that thought of failing or not succeeding very, very largely had never even crossed Andy's mind. And the idea of setting up any kind of an explanation for why things didn't go as well as he had thought or we would have thought had never even crossed his mind, which, by the way, takes a huge amount of things that create tension in other organizations off the table. Nobody immediately it diffused anybody pointing fingers at anything because you, he wasn't there. He wasn't going to do that. And you could you felt like there was nothing that would ever get him there. And which is exactly what happened, by the way, over 14 years. So between the interview and then seeing just how his absolute confidence, no fluff in it at all, combined with the fact that he was taking actions with no fear whatsoever that he needed later on to have an explanation for things that didn't go well as he thought, kind of sealed the deal that we knew we had the right day. Long, by the way, before we started winning games under him. Well, you may have answered my question, next question, but his record speaks for itself and so does his coaching tree. The simple question, you've known him for a long time. What makes this guy so special? I mean, he's separated himself from the rest of the pack. What makes him so extraordinary? Well, I still think it's the non-football stuff, even though he's obviously exceptional with the football stuff. I mean, absolute integrity. I mean, true heartfelt compassion. Cares about all the people around him. Players feel this. Very, very clear vision as to where he's trying to lead to. And great leaders always have a very clear vision. So people know, where am I following you to? I don't want to just follow you blindly. I want to know where are we going? Um, you know, just a, a true teacher. I mean, if you talk to him and he takes his guard down, he doesn't describe himself as a coach. He describes himself as a teacher. A lot of coaches do that. But if you go out on the practice field with him, you'll see to the extent which, with which he practices what he preaches there. Um, and just a relentless work ethic. I mean, I've never met anybody who works harder. And of course, that makes everybody around him feel like they have to work that hard. So I still think it's all of the intangibles uh, you know, obviously, I don't want to belittle his football expertise and progressive thinking and all that kind of stuff. It's clearly there. 
Um, but I really think what separates him is this list of intangibles that leave everybody who knows him liking him. People playing for him and people working under him want to succeed and have him be proud of them. They want, they want to prove, like he wanted to prove to us that our bet on him was well-placed. Like you believed in me, I'm going to deliver for you. And then he gets everybody underneath him to feel that same way. So you have everybody pulling in the same direction with no fear of failure, just an all out, all in effort to be the best. Joe, this is a very uh, Hall of Fame centric show. Joe, I'm going to ask you about the guy under center for you with the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe. Uh, Donovan McNabb, Joe, is he in the Hall of very, very good or could you make the case that he deserves a gold jacket. No, listen, I, I believe he deserves a gold jacket, but I have no illusions of having any objectivity when I say that. You know, he was a great member of the organization. The success we had wouldn't have happened without him. Um, you know, he was a contributor in all aspects of the team. He was the kind of leader that you want, a guy who's very driven to be successful. Um, and, you know, low maintenance, just all in. So, you know, my answer is, is I... I believe he should be in the Hall of Fame, and I'd love to see it. Uh, but I, I say that acknowledging that I probably am not the most objective person you'll ask that question to. And, Joe, uh, one of the ownership groups that are in Sunday's game are, are the Glazer family. Joseph, uh, they came in 1995, took over a uh, moribund organization, to be, to be uh, you know, fair, um, Joe, how well do you know the Glazers? Uh, they're, they're not uh, very out there like a Jerry Jones, they're very opposite that. Uh, do you know them and um, what makes them tick, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I know them moderately well just from attending a lot of owners meetings and, and Jeff actually had a relationship with them. So when we go out to lunch or dinner during the meetings, at times they would be with us. And, you know, I'm glad to see them have this. They've worked hard for a very long time. They've had some good stretches and bad stretches. You know, it's, this situation to me epitomizes that what an owner's job really is, is to find the right key people to run the organization. And when you put the right group of people together, they've had now achieved a level of success that they hadn't seen under that group before. So, I mean, I think that's what you want. You want an owner that sets the bar high, lives up to it by hiring the right people and giving them the, cert, the level of kind of freedom to use their expertise to be successful. And they appear to have been financially uh, supportive of the efforts uh, over the years. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to see them finally get to this point. It's an incredible thrill to get in the game. It's, it's murder if you happen to lose after the game, but it's an incredible thrill for a couple of weeks and something you remain proud of forever, you know, once you get over the emotions of wherever it is that has, happens to fall short on Sunday. We're with Joe Banner on the I Test for Two podcast. And, and Joe, from what you know, and what you've seen of Andy Reid over the years, how is he different now from when you knew him? Uh, I think you guys were last together in 2012 in Philadelphia, but uh, you had a long run with him. Uh, how is he different now from then? Yeah, and I've stayed in touch with him, and I think he's the same person. I mean, there was never a big ego. There was never any of that kind of stuff. I do actually think he's relaxed a little bit. I don't know if that was the soup ball as you got older. I actually joked with him about this, and he said having grandkids – uh, had it had an effect on kind of his thinking about life and prioritizing and, and didn't lessen his drive, but put some perspective uh, in all of it. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like, you know, there are so few coaches that can really do this for 15 or 20 years and sustain just the pressure and the stress and the level of work it takes. 
if you talk to him, you think he can coach 10 more years and he's not even going to be phased by any of this stuff. So I think there's some shift in the intangibles as he's gotten a little older and had different life experiences. Um, but the coach part of him, I, I think it's the same guy. Well, I, I realize you're not exactly unbiased on this subject, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Where would you put him among today's head coaches? I mean, there's some really good ones out there. Obviously, Belichick, Pete Carroll. Um, others as well, but uh, where would you put him among today's head coaches? Yeah, to me, at worst, he's the second best coach in the league and has been for quite a long time. I mean, I think that with uh, Mahomes, he may get a chance to win enough Super Bowls to get into the conversation with Belichick, uh, but he's got to do that to get there. In my opinion, if I had to choose between the two of them, I'd know how I'd pick. I mean, I think they're just both outstanding, both kind of a notch above the rest. No insult meant to anybody else. I just think they're both truly exceptional. Okay. Joe, last one, uh, Joe, last one for me. Thanks uh, so much for your time, Joe. I'm going to ask you uh, about uh, Philly fans, Joe. Um, you saw them <laughs> over the years, Joe. I think, I think they're kind of uh, very singular in this respect, Joe. They, they love the guy with the, the blue collar work ethic, Joe, in my opinion. And Tampa's got a little about that because Mike Allstott, Joe, is by far the most popular player in buck history from a fan standpoint nobody nobody close to mike allstott and joe the the way they uh you know attract to uh iverson or pete rose when he was with the phillies joe uh, what were your impressions of, of the philly sports fan yeah and i'd add buddy ryan to your list of somebody that kind of fits that <laughs> yeah. um you know listen i i would uh, choose a passionate a diehard, uh, even very critical fan base uh, to work for versus some of the teams in the league that face a little bit more, uh, you know, less passion, let's just say, and uh, more ambivalence. Um, I loved working there. The times we had good seasons, you can't even imagine how much it added to the thrill of the job. Now with that, you know, comes a lot of critiques and a lot of criticisms, which, uh, you know, is, is uh, not hard to get. It's very close to the surface, but I mean, I can't imagine any player or coach that wouldn't find it more fun to work in a city with the passion and the intensity they have, even if it brings with it some more challenges and criticisms. And it, nobody could look at them and not think they're as passionate and intense as any fans there are anywhere. Who's more passionate and intense, Browns fans or Eagles fans? And I'm going to say Eagles. Yeah, so would I. So would I. I haven't been through the parking lot of the Eagles. Yeah, I would say so, too. Joe, I've got one more for you. Um, yeah. When Andy was taking some heat late in his career in Philadelphia, I was in Minnesota and I talked to Leslie Frazier and he was asking me where I'd been. And I told him and we got around to uh, talking about Andy Reid. And I said, boy, he's taken a lot of grief in Philadelphia. I said, when do you think people are going to appreciate what they have? And he said, when he's gone. That's, that's no. what they appreciate it. Well, he's gone. What no. do you think Philadelphia fans think of Andy Reid today? No, listen, I, first of all, I think that it was a, a loud minority that was uh, so kind of up in arms, kind of that, you know, call in radio group. Yeah. Uh, and a lot more people that were less visible appreciated him all along. But there's no doubt. I mean, I, the the talk radio station that bid so hard on him for so long actually had a, a, a week where they just dedicated uh, time to, uh, before last year's Super Bowl, kind of a remembering him and appreciating him and having friends on and people that worked with him. And it was just you know, a, pr a praise parade like you've never seen uh, and mm -hmm. probably most thought would never happen in Philadelphia. So I do think exactly what Leslie suggested to you happened. I do think there were more people that appreciated him with quieter voices than we realized. 
Um, and I think after he's left and now they've seen what he's done, it's just incredible. You know, we hired Andy, remember that it used to be that if you didn't sell it, a game was blacked out in a city like Philadelphia yeah. the year before yeah. we took over half the games were blacked out. And it had been a long time since they had any real playoff runs. So, you know, he was an integral part of turning that around to the point now where they, they're enlarging the stadium a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. massive waiting lists and TV ratings that are through the roof and set the bar that if you don't win the Super Bowl, it's a bad season. So I, I think he's loved in Philadelphia at this point. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, Joe Banner, thanks so much for the time. Always great to talk to you. I always get an education listening to you. I really appreciate it. Uh, My pleasure. Great being with you guys. Take it easy. Thanks, Thanks, Joe. Joe. That was Joe Banner, former president of the Philadelphia Eagles and CEO of the Cleveland Browns and an economics expert, as Ira Kaufman can attest by asking him that question. Uh, Ira, I think what he said about Andy Reid was absolutely right. He's one of the most compassionate, understanding, and I think loved uh, head coaches around. That doesn't necessarily translate to the football field. But it certainly has with him. He's had uh, tremendous success in Kansas City, but he did have tremendous success in Philadelphia. Um, Four straight conference championship games, five in eight years. Uh, Record speaks for itself. And Clark, uh, with Mahomes next to him, uh, he may not get to the Hall of Fame room for about 20 years, Clark. So you and I, we might be off the committee by then. No, no, you won't be. Might be. <laughs> oh, you hear those fans? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Somebody was somewhere. I think yeah, it's your yeah, turn. I was. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> think those fans are saying, come on, bring it on. Where were you? Yeah, this is time for our weekly I Was There segment. And um, Ira, um, I'm going to do something here in deference to the fact that Andy Reid's here, Tom Brady's here, and this game is in Florida. Because the last time these two were in a Super Bowl, in Florida was Super Bowl 39 in Jacksonville. And he was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Tom Brady was the quarterback of the New England Patriots. Um, and Tom Brady won. Andy Reid lost and uh, final score was 24-21. Now, some people remember that for Terrell Owens' exploits. I know you do, Ira. I'm, I guess I do, yeah, too. Uh, <laughs> others, including T.O. for Donovan McNabb. I think he was sick in the huddle at one point, he said. It was throwing up in the huddle. or I just remember there was a long drive we got criticized for and taking too much time. But uh, I remember it for Tom Brady's performance um, because that was the year the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I don't know if you were on the, the board then, Ira, but they elected Dan Marino and Steve Young, if you remember. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and after that game, I wrote as my lead that three quarterbacks reached Canton that weekend. Marino, Young, and Tom Brady. And Ian, I know you were old enough to remember it. Um, do you remember that game? And do you remember thinking, wow, we've got something special here? Uh, I, I do remember that game. I was in college, actually. It was my, Actually, I, I remember most of that game because I was in college. But uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it, it really pushed it beyond that, you know, wow, are we going on a nice yep. run? Or yep. is this guy really the guy? And I think that was a great, uh, great headline. Yeah, that that was my that was my thought. Then when I saw it, because I thought, wow, this guy is special. Um, but you know what I remember the most, Ira? It wasn't necessarily that. It was the halftime show. Do you remember who played? Wait a minute, the halftime in Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, could it have been uh, the weekend before the weekend? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who was it? Who it was, was Paul it? McCartney. Paul McCartney. Oh, my. Yeah, oh, you were a rock and roll empresario, Ira. I'm su- surprised you forgot that. But I, I uh, can't believe McCartney went to Jacksonville. Yeah, well, he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's too small for Paul. Um, I stood outside in the stadium in the upper deck to listen to the set. 
and I think it was something like 20 minutes. Anyway, it was magnificent. I thought it was magnificent. And uh, I, I can't tell you all the songs he played, but I do remember one in particular. Ian, if you can, cue it up for me. You know what I remember about that arrow? The Prototechnics. Do you remember they shot fireworks and explosions everywhere, lit up the sky? I thought, wow, this is, a, I'm watching Paul McCartney and there are explosions everywhere. It was better than the game, I tell you that. Yeah, it was better than the game. <laughs> <laughs> it was better than the game. Anyway, uh, speaking about the game, Ira, this is our last uh, podcast before the Super Bowl. You have final thoughts? You know, Clark, uh, it's been a surreal season. I got to give the NFL credit for getting through it uh, somehow, some way. So the better storyline wins out. And I think that is Tom Brady in a Buccaneer uniform. Nobody would be surprised before the season started to say that the Chiefs were going to repeat as difficult as that is. Uh, and it hasn't happened since your Patriots of the early 2000s. But Clark, Tom Brady with a different team away from Belichick, the Bucks, 18 years without a playoff win, 12 years without a playoff appearance. I'm going with the Bucks, Clark. Somehow, some way, crunch time, Brady gets it done. I got to go with the Bucks, Clark. Yeah, I'm, I hope you're right. I mean, honestly, my heart is with him. My head says Kansas City, but my heart says Brady. How do you go against him? And it's the greatest storyline, 43 years old, 10th Super Bowl. It'd be terrific and magnificent. And Ira, I'm not going to only be thinking of him and that. I'm going to be thinking of you there because I've got one suggestion for you. No cheering in the press box, okay? No cheering <laughs> in the press box. I want to see you back here next week so you can tell me what you saw. Can I, can I wear my Brady T-shirt? Can <laughs> you, you, you can. You can. But wear something over it, would you please? Anyway, that is going to do it for our Super Bowl podcast. Ira, where can people find you on Twitter? At iKaufman76, buddy. Ian, remind them where they can find you. At IGLEN31. And you can find me at, at Clark Judge TOF. And remember, if we don't hear from you there, you're going to hear from us right here next week at the iTest for Two. Thanks for listening.